Well, no, your, your eyes and your ears do not deceive you. That's the same passage we read last week. I really like ending on that part where everyone thinks the Christians have had too much wine. So <laughs> we're done, right? Let's, no, well, let's actually dig deeper into the passage today because we didn't get to finish last week. And before we do that, because we are looking at the Holy Spirit here, I want to take a little bit of extra time. You know, of course, we have our hymn of preparation every week where we invite God to teach us about his word. But I want a little extra prayer this morning. So would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you for your word. Open it up to us this morning by your spirit. Give us minds to understand, uh, hearts to obey. Father, spirits, uh, wills that are willing to do all that it is that you've said, to receive and celebrate them and turn back to you in worship. Lord, give me strength and wisdom and power to proclaim the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ our Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, anyone here ever wish they had a superpower? Yeah? You guys know, I, I, like every other week, I tell you my favorite movies are superhero movies, uh, so I'm really not very original or interesting. But I love superhero movies, you can hear it again. And uh, I don't often stop to think about what my favorite superpower would be, but I know who my favorite superhero is, even though they haven't made the best movies about him. It's Superman, right? And the, the reason should be obvious. He is literally a superman. Is his name gives it away right there. He is strong. He can fly. He's good. I don't know if you ever picked that up, but in, in the movies, at least, because I've, I've never read a comic book in my life, but in the movies, they talk about how it, uh, Earth's yellow sun doesn't just give Superman super strength, but it enhances how good he is inside. And there's a reason that if you ever watch these Superman movies, you will always, always see at some point during the movie Superman with his arms spread out wide like he is Jesus Christ. There are a couple of reasons for that, one of which is a perfectly permittable literary reason. He is a Christ figure. He sacrifices and demonstrates power through sacrifice to save people. That's a good thing. There's a less good reason, which is that Superman's kind of the best our culture can do when it comes to replacing Jesus Christ. And that's kind of a bummer, isn't it? Because like Audio Adrenaline said, if you remember music that I listened to when I was a high schooler, no one is ever going to be as big as Jesus. No one else can hold the world in their hands. I love that song. And I think that sometimes, you know, we, we actually want to be a little bit more like Superman at the cost of being a little more like Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we wish we had the power and ability to simply crush any problem that appears in our lives without the dedication, love, and perseverance of Jesus Christ to walk through suffering and to walk through hurt. Because even Superman, you know, even Superman can't comfort the grieving any better than anyone else. Even Superman's friends die, and he can't do anything to stop it. Whatever the movie where he turns the earth backwards has to say, notwithstanding, he can't bring his friends back to life. But Jesus can. See, it's a lot more important to be like Jesus Christ than it is to be like Superman. 
I have this great shirt. Uh, I've gained weight and it doesn't fit anymore. Uh, but it has a picture of a bunch of superheroes. There's the Hulk and Jesus, uh, the Hulk and Jesus, the Hulk and uh, uh, Superman and Batman and everybody, and they're all sitting, you know, on on a fence or something like that. And Jesus is in the middle, and they're all looking at him and listening attentively. And he says in the shirt, he's, there's a speech bubble that says, "This is how I save the world." I love that picture. All of the power that we could possibly imagine sitting at Jesus' feet. Wow, that's how you did it? That's amazing. You ever seen the movie The Incredibles? I told you I love superheroes. I'm spending way too much time on them this morning. But in The Incredibles, it's a kid's movie with superheroes. And there is a scene in it where Mr. Incredible, who's super strong, is being interviewed. And he says, sometimes I wish that the world would just stay saved. You know, I I just cleaned this place up when people are making a mess of it again. See, that's that's a Jesus job. When Jesus saves the world, the world stays saved. We, We want to be like Jesus. We want Jesus more than we want our superheroes. Let me tell you why. We're going to find out out of the book of Acts, chapter 2, this passage that we just read and some following verses because I, I didn't want to make Kelly read all 47 verses this morning. (laughs) I did give you all the hardest words, though. So, (laughs) First, here's what I want you to know about the work that the Holy Spirit does, why being like Jesus is better than being like a superhero. Because first of all, the Holy Spirit turns our hearts to the worship of God particularly in proclaiming his great works. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit turns our hearts to the worship of God, particularly in proclaiming the great and spectacular things that God has done. You know, the world is full of people who want to tell you all about the great things that they've done. Some of them have to do it because it's part of their job description, right? You'll never get reelected unless you brag about your accomplishments a bit first, right? Or tell everyone, here's what I'm going to do for you. But we don't need human accomplishments. We need divine accomplishments. Because like we said, there are some things that human beings can't do, never have been able to do, and never will be able to do. Most of all, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to go right to the end. No one besides Jesus has ever gone through death and come out on the other side alive. See, we don't need people making us more and new promises. We need to live in the promises of Jesus Christ. We need someone and something in the loudness and the cacophony of all the promises that the world makes to say, here are the promises that you really, truly, and deeply need. I love here in verse 11, uh, all of these people from all over the Roman world are saying, we hear these disciples of Jesus declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues is what the NIV says. If you look at the underlying Greek, it says the mighty acts of God or even the mighty things of God. How strong God is. The mountains that he has moved. The great things that he has accomplished. See, this is the work of the Spirit in turning our hearts to the mighty things God has done. 
it, it's something that happens inside of us, not outside of us. Every other promise that we get in the world is for something outside of us, but God can actually get into the middle of who we are and start to turn it and change it and transform it and heal it and remake it because we don't just need a healing out there. We need a healing in here. And there's never been a pill invented yet that can truly do that. Everything that this world has to offer is just regular maintenance. Change in our spark plugs. Change in the oil. But none of it, none of it is something that makes the engine young and new again. Only God can do that. See, this is the work of the Spirit pointing us to the mighty acts of God that raises our hands when we sing, even though we're Presbyterians. That's some heavy lifting right there. This is the work that's happened periodically throughout the whole of the Bible. It happened as the Holy Spirit moved in people like David, who wrote so many of the Psalms, in the prophets who spoke God's truth and praised him, in all of the different songs and poems and declarations of praise. I don't know about you, but I'm not big on poetry. And sometimes I get to those things in the Bible, I'm like, neat, tell me the important stuff. But that is the important stuff. It's people saying, these are the mighty acts of God in my life and in the lives of the people around me and in the history of my people. You know, the prophets continually phrase Israel's problem back to them. They, they keep being unfaithful. They keep doing things that are, are wrong and not good. And the prophets often tell them, you know what your problem is? You don't remember the good things that God has done for you. You don't remember them. But that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. It does what the psalmist says in Psalm 40, verse 10. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I remember what you've done, and then I turn it outside of me. I set it loose to the people surrounding me. I don't conceal your love and faithfulness from the great assembly. You know, we're people who do that sometimes, aren't we? Uh, people who don't necessarily come and say, look at these amazing things that God has done in my life. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. I think chief among them is that, well, we're a little bit embarrassed to tell people that we think God did this thing in our lives. I think we're a little afraid that when we, we talk about things, maybe God didn't actually do it after all. Maybe it's just coincidence Maybe skepticism is the right way to look at God's acts in my life. Well, it probably wasn't God. It was probably anything other than God. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Because our culture, our whole world is always telling us, no, God didn't really do that. And we start to buy it. And we need God to whisper or even shout into our hearts again, no, that was me. That's what I did. That's who I am for you. That's who I was for you back then. That's who I am for you today. And that's who I will be for you in the future. We need God to always be turning our hearts back to our great rescues and reminding us that he is the one who did it. I think we all have a lot to learn from the 12-step programs. Because the 12-step programs teach us that you cannot do this without the help of a higher power. 
And we know who that higher power is. We know that it's Jesus Christ. You can't get life out of death unless you go to the one who has done it before. In the midst of a skeptical and a cynical world, we need a good, benevolent, loving God who says love to us over 310 times in the whole of the Bible to remind us, no, I did that, and I did it for you. See, that's the first thing that the Holy Spirit does for us. It points our hearts back to all, that, all the good that God has built in our lives. And that's the first step for us in becoming like Jesus, becoming like a real superhero. We need this work. We need it. But the Holy Spirit does something else, too. The Holy Spirit gives us power to share the gospel. Does anyone wish that uh, when Jesus had left the world, you know, when he ascended into heaven, uh, his last words to the disciples had not been, go and tell everyone? Maybe they'd been something nice like, go and hang out only together and have dinner and enjoy everything. And when it feels comfortable, tell each other about me. But don't ever risk anything. Don't ever do anything hard. Don't ever do anything that would make people think that you're weird or wrong. Anyone want a God like that? It's okay. You don't have to raise your hands. I know you all do. (laughs) I do too sometimes. But I think part of what's happened is, first of all, we've forgotten the great things that God has done for us. If we spend time saying, Holy Spirit, you're, you're reminding me of these wonderful, amazing things that God has done for me, and we spend time actually living in that, we will start turning to share the gospel with people. Because you know what the word gospel means? It means good news. Good news. Any of you ever have your favorite team win the championship? Anyone experienced that? I did. The Seattle Seahawks won the Super Bowl the year I came to this church. And somebody told me, God must really listen to you because the Seahawks won the Super Bowl this year. It was a great start to my ministry as a pastor. But you know what happened after the Seahawks won the Super Bowl? I called all my friends. Did you watch the game? That was amazing. Peyton Manning looked like he was nobody Manning. He was terrible, but the Seahawks were awesome. Did you see that that kickoff return? Did you see all of this? Because it was good news, you know, at least to me. You 49ers fans were not so happy. So, yeah, that wasn't nice. Um, But when it's good news, you can't keep it to yourself. You want to share it. So what has gone wrong in our hearts that we wish Jesus didn't say, go and share the good news? Well, first, we need that work of the Holy Spirit to remind us that it's good news. The second thing is that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim it to a skeptical world. Take a look here uh, again back in our passage. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, which is an exact, you know, a hyperbole. It's a way of saying from all of the known world, from all of the Roman Empire. And when they heard the disciples all speaking, all talking, they were attracted to it because they're from all different parts of the world. As a matter of fact, at this 
time of the year, at Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks in Jerusalem, people from all over, Jews from all over the world would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate it. The population of Jerusalem at the time was about 100,000 people. And during the Feast of Weeks, it was the parks at Memorial Day. All right, There were about a million people in Jerusalem. Can you imagine the city packed cheek to jowl. There's no room left anywhere. And there's just this cacophony of sound of people speaking all of these different languages. And if you are from other parts of the empire and you hear people speaking your language, you'd be interested. You say, well, you know, imagine that you're out in Japan or something like that and everyone's speaking Japanese and you hear someone speaking English. You'd probably be like, well, where's that person? You'd want to go find them. And, oh, well, where are you from? Let's go have lunch or something because no one else, I can't talk to anyone else here. They don't speak my language. And that's what these, they said. We're going to go find the source of all of the sound. And when they saw it, they came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Like, well, where are you from? Well, I'm from Phrygia. Well, I, I'm from Cappadocia. I'm from Spain. You know, I'm from all of these other places all over the Roman Empire. Who are these uneducated Galileans? That's why they say, how could these Galileans be saying this? Because they're the rubes who haven't gone to college. And they're saying, how can all of these uneducated Galileans possibly be speaking all of these different languages? What does it mean, they asked in verse 12. And that's why some of them make fun. Well, clearly they're drunk. We don't know what's going on, but you know, there's no natural explanation for this. Other than that, they are drunk. And then what does Peter do? Peter, among all the disciples, stands up with the eleven, raises his voice, and addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, after all. But this is a fulfillment of God's prophecy in the prophet Joel. And he goes on to explain to them what's happening. See, the Holy Spirit has given the disciples power to attract people to hear the message. Power to have the words to speak the message so that everyone can hear it in their own heart language. Their own natural language. He's given them power to deliver the message, to speak the good news. This is a fulfillment in part of Jesus' own predictions, Jesus' own teaching. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus says, When you are arrested, that's a little discouraging. When you are arrested, that's going to happen, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but who? But the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The Holy Spirit speaking through you. See, people don't need us to think up a million uh, innovative. It's not bad. It's good, as a matter of fact, to be innovative and creative in the ways that we share the word of God. But that's not where the power comes from. That's not how people find Jesus and join the kingdom. It's when God's faithful people go out in obedience to the Holy Spirit, living in his power, and start speaking whatever words the Spirit gives us to say. And you notice what Jesus says? He doesn't say, worry about it a lot, whether or not the Spirit is going to show up. Jesus says, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you'll say it. 
That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. See, the the power of the Holy Spirit is not in our lives to make us win against them. That's what the comic book superheroes do. Find the bad guys and beat them. The power of the Holy Spirit in our lives is meant to draw together what has been separated, to heal divisions, to invite in strangers, to enrich the body of Christ so that one day everyone will worship and live, not like us, that's not the goal, but rather so that one day every tongue and tribe and nation will worship the same God together, our backgrounds and our cultural strangenesses combining into one glorious whole. There are not going to be any national flags in heaven, I'm sorry to say. No one is going to be debating which country was the greatest, which culture was the most satisfying, or something like that. Everyone is going to say we belong to the nation of Jesus Christ. We live his culture and the things that he does. And that's part of why it's so significant that the Holy Spirit says, I want you to speak not in your own language, but in their languages. Because they are invited, whether they are American or the most terrible thing of all, Canadian or Mexican or French or Chinese or Iranian or anything else. God says, go out to them, speak their language by my power, with my message by my power. And knit the world back together. Do you remember a time in the Bible when all of a sudden there were a lot of different languages and it was a problem? The Tower of Babel, right? Human beings said, we don't need God. We will restore everything that this world should be all by ourselves. We'll build the tower reaching to heaven and bridge the gap. God says, this isn't healthy. No one can do this but me. Not, I don't want anyone to do this but me, but no one is capable of this, and they will be living a lie among themselves. And so he, he confuses their language so they don't understand each other anymore. And yet when the Holy Spirit comes, the languages get unconfused. And God undoes Babel and starts to make one new restored humanity out of the fragmented and broken one. See, that's the great miracle that God invites us all to join his family and his team. No matter who we are, where we're from, what we've done, he invites us in. And he gives us power to give the invitation. Third, the Holy Spirit gives us profound insight into the meaning of the gospel. Profound insight into the meaning of the gospel. First of all, if we, we want to, well, not first of all, we want to take a look at Peter's sermon here. That's verses 14 to 41. We're obviously not going to look at the whole thing in great detail. But here is what I think that we want to see out of all of this. Peter has multiple incredible insights into what is happening around him. He says, uh, first of all, here's, by the way, an interesting sidetrack. People ask me all the time, Pastor, are we living in the last days? Is this passage going to answer your question? Verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. These are the last days. Not because it's 2021, but because since Jesus has ascended into heaven, the world is in its final stages before God heals all that's gone wrong, before the Lord Jesus returns and makes it all right. 
And when we start looking out at at what's happening in our world and in our country, and we start getting all freaked out and going, surely these are the last days. It's like, yes, they've always been the last days since Jesus came. We don't have any more reason to worry than the people who lived 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. Because most importantly, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God who got people through the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages can get us through COVID in the 21st century. But also because kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. We're looking at the Roman Empire for crying out loud. It ruled over large swaths of the Mediterranean for almost a thousand years. And we look at the problems in our country and we're like, oh no, the world is ending because America you know, is, is going off the rails. No, folks, it's not. Our hope was never in America. It was always in Jesus Christ. Now, we're not going to abandon our country because there's a lot of good to be preserved there. But let's never get confused about our hope. It's always in Jesus do you remember Peter before, uh, before Jesus ascended? As a matter of fact, even immediately after Jesus ascended. Do you remember Peter before the Holy Spirit? Remember that, that famous story? Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? Peter says, well, you're the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, because this has been revealed to you uh, from heaven. Peter, this is the most insightful thing that anyone on earth has ever said, essentially. And then Jesus says, by the way, I'm going to go die on the cross And Peter says, never, Lord. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So the heights and the depths followed closely upon each other. Do you remember at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus says, I'm going to ascend. And the uh, disciples say to him, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says, that is not your business. That's not what I'm interested in today. Ten days before, ten-ish days before Pentecost, they have that conversation. And then the Holy Spirit comes. And Peter says, let me explain to you the intricacies of God's plan from day one until the last days, until today. And he goes through and he quotes Joel and he quotes Isaiah. He quotes all throughout the prophets. And he explains Jesus was a a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. He was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. Is that the Peter who said, Jesus, you shall never die on the cross? No, it's a Peter who has new understanding and new faith. You put him to death, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter's gone from what in the world happened on Easter Sunday. If you ever read the resurrection passages, they're all, everyone in those are like, what is going on? We don't understand. Are we awake? Are we dreaming? Is he a ghost? They, have all, they don't have any clue. They're just like he was dead. He's apparently alive. And now what? And then the Holy Spirit comes and they know what? Because the Holy Spirit gives us profound insight into the meaning and the nature of the gospel. It doesn't matter if you spend all of your life long studying the Bible if you do not have the Holy Spirit. It won't do you any good because it's only the Spirit that gives us understanding. In Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. 
Well, that makes sense, right? The Holy Spirit won't let us blaspheme Jesus. But you know what's surprising? He goes on and says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is not optional for the life of the Christian. Holy Spirit is the center of our life, the source of our life. The Holy Spirit is what shapes us and makes us like Jesus. Nobody and nothing else can do that. So let me just, we're going to, as I said last week, spend a a number of weeks here in these passages uh, talking about the Holy Spirit. But let, let me go to the question that I think that's on all of our minds just for a moment. Okay, do I have the Spirit? Is the Spirit working in my life? How do I access the Spirit? If I can't say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, then you know, how, how do I get the Holy Spirit? Well, it's simple. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all you need. Faith in Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit works the way the Holy Spirit wants to in you. Now, that's a little frustrating sometimes, isn't it? God, you know, (laughs) I'm ready to be all all better. I'm ready to be all good. I'm ready to be all wise. Give me those things. And the Holy Spirit's like, no. No. I'll give them to you in my time. We talked about that a bit last week. Remember, Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit. And they wait 10 days. Why? I don't have a good answer. I can't tell you this is exactly why God does that. I can tell you that we can trust the God who does that. It always comes back to the cross. He who didn't hesitate to give up his only son for us, how will he not also along with him give us all things in their due time? But what I will tell you, you can't control the Holy Spirit. You can't make the Spirit show up. You can't make the Spirit do things in you. But you can cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. That's our job. Seek him. You know the easiest way to start cooperating with the Holy Spirit? Lord God, please fill me up with the Holy Spirit. Can you do that this week? Will you do it this week? Yeah. Here's... The second thing, take risks. Take risks. Because the Holy Spirit is not going to lead you into a safe life. Now, this doesn't mean that we should take stupid risks, right? Don't go skydiving without a parachute and trust the Holy Spirit will save you. This is not the work of the Spirit. That is the way to end up before the Lord in heaven and have him say, that was stupid. So instead, look for holy risks. Look for holy risks. You know, I'm feeling like this person, this family member, this friend needs to hear the gospel. I could swear something is telling me that. And I don't want to because I'm scared. But if you want the Holy Spirit, you got to take that risk. That's the life of faith. Faith isn't something that we sit back in our chairs and do. Faith is something that we stand up and start walking to do. More on that in the weeks to come, but to get us going, do we have the Holy Spirit? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Then yes. How do we cooperate with the Spirit? 
take steps of faith. And don't neglect the tools that God has left us. Don't neglect prayer. Don't neglect reading the Bible. Don't neglect gathering with God's people. Because this, these are the words of the Holy Spirit. There's an easy way to cooperate with them, isn't it?